Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. I am Heather Hoops Matthews, joined today by Maynard Nexon healthcare attorney, Lauren DeMoss. Lauren, good to be with you. Great, thanks so much, Heather. Great to be here. And Lauren and I are joined by another accomplished Maynard Nexon attorney, Sarah Glover. She focuses on cybersecurity risk assessments, data breach responses, and cybersecurity cl- compliance and training initiatives. I know a lot of things that uh, make people stop and listen. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you start us off by just talking a little bit about what the Maynard Nexon cybersecurity team does to help when somebody has an incident, some sort of cybersecurity incident? Yeah, happy to do that. Um, so, you know, we always advise clients that. Your first call when the fire alarm goes off, digitally speaking, should be to outside counsel. So we prefer to hear about an incident, a suspected incident, right when it happens, because what we really do is we send in a legal SWAT team. So we come in, it's crisis response at the end of the day. Um, We are brought in to quarterback the organization's response to the incident, because when you get hit with a security incident, a lot of work streams get kicked off um, simultaneously. And the organization is in crisis mode and it helps to bring an outside counsel to come over on top of the response from the jump to manage those work streams in a way that mitigates legal, operational, reputational, financial risk. If you don't bring in legal at the very beginning of an incident, there are a couple of things that we worry about. One is that the attorney-client privilege, I think, is one of those those components of incident response that is often overlooked or not thought about. But if you think about all of the discussions that swirl following an incident, why did this happen? What did we do wrong? Or what did a third party do wrong? What's the risk to us? A lot of email chatter documentation gets generated during incident that we would love to not be discoverable in downstream litigation. So bringing an outside counsel at the very outset establishes, reinforces, applies the privilege in a way that protects the organization's response. The other thing that we worry about if legal counsel isn't brought in at the outset, is that companies can deal with some pretty aggressive reporting obligations from a timing perspective. We want to make sure that that those are met and uh, to reduce legal and compliance risk. So report to legal early and often is the advice. And again, we come in and and just help kick off the technical investigation, uh, development of internal and external communications, IT recovery, if it's a ransomware attack, we will engage a ransom negotiator to um, engage with the threat actor, PR, media, your insurance carrier, your broker, certainly the legal analysis, but all of those work streams that get kicked off when an incident happens, you know, we come in and really help with, with all of those over the top. You know, Sarah, when I think about kind of cybersecurity exposure, maybe over the last probably decade, 10 years, I, there's probably been a shift from organizations being like this, this, you know, we're not going to have a ransomware attack or no one's going to click on the wrong email to 
okay, if you haven't had one yet, it's going to happen, right? Like, I think there's been a clear shift and like, oh, there is exposure here and there is, you know, a risk. So when you think about healthcare providers, based on your experience, what's kind of the biggest risk factor out there for healthcare providers? And then I think expanding it a little bit into kind of, you know, companies that service healthcare providers. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think that in the healthcare space, especially um, because PHI is is so valuable, it's valuable to patients. Certainly, it's valuable to organizations. It's also, unfortunately, valuable to the bad guys. So, healthcare organizations have targets on their backs. Um, ransomware attacks are unfortunately common everywhere, but they're especially common within the healthcare space. So, you know, um, valuable data aggravates the risk to an organization. Healthcare data is certainly valuable from a number of perspectives. So, um, you know, with respect to what the biggest risk facing healthcare organizations is, from my perspective today, I think that uh, third and fourth party risk is really one of those things that tops the list. So as as a covered entity, as a business associate, you could have your house in order. You could know where all of your PHI lives. You could know how it's secured. You could feel good about that, but to the extent that you are sharing that data with service providers and they're sharing that data with service providers, et cetera, et cetera, there's only so much control you have over that. I mean, if you think about with healthcare data and all of the the hands that touch it and the eyes that see it as it gets processed in the provision of healthcare, healthcare-related services that data has a lot of tentacles out there in the environment and it's it's hard to lock it down the further downstream you go. And so what we're seeing is really an increase in these third and fourth party vendor incidents. Um, and that, that can manifest itself in a couple of different ways. But for example, if you are a covered entity and you outsource a critical operational function in the provision of healthcare to a third party, they have a ransomware attack and cannot operate, that directly impacts you. If they have a data breach and your PHI that they hold, you know, gets stolen or gets accessed, that directly impacts you. Um, so, you know, if you can imagine sort of all the ripples downstream that that PHI and health-related data can cause, that's the thing that gives me heartburn as outside counsel. It's the thing that I think gives healthcare companies a lot of heartburn is just thinking, how do you protect data when you've more or less lost control of it downstream? Yeah, I agree, Sarah, 100%. And you think about different ways folks want to use data and, and the ability to de-identify it and claim it's been be, you know de-identified. That gives me heartburn sometimes too, is you know, pass along information and you say, well, it's de-identified. And oftentimes it's maybe actually not de-identified. And you know, they, they actually have PHI and, and they're using it for all, all sorts of different purposes. So yeah, as as you know, the information spreads, the risk I think increases. Yep. And it, you know, it goes one of the things um, to think about is that the other unique risk to the healthcare space is just the sheer volume of data that it takes mm-hmm. to provide health related services. So, um, you know, the definition of PHI is super broad. It's it's really anything that identifies an individual that's related to the provision of healthcare, right? So just the the amount of data that covered entities and business associates have to maintain just to do what they do 
is voluminous. And so with every additional PHI record you have, that increases your risk profile. So if you take nothing away from this discussion, uh, other than this, it would be don't keep PHI that you don't need on your systems, right? Mm -hmm. Data can't be breached if it doesn't exist. A lot of times uh, a company will get hit with a ransomware attack, data has been stolen, and we come to find out that it was the set of data that sat somewhere that someone had forgotten about, right? Like sort of in a dusty digital closet somewhere. So, you know, data retention practices, data governance practices are super important to reducing the risk, especially for healthcare organizations, because they sit on so much data. Sarah, if I'm the hospital CEO or healthcare system CEO, I'm probably not sleeping at night if I think about this too much, especially to your point about the third or fourth down the line vendor. What, what can a healthcare system do to mitigate that risk of, of PHI getting out at a vendor downstream? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, my, my advice is always to think about vendor risk management kind of holistically. So, um, you know, at, at the top of the call, uh, we we talked about the fact that there's been this shift in mentality from it's not a matter of if you get breached, it's a matter of when. The other shift that we've seen is that data security risk used to be thought of as an IT risk. It's something that our IT department deals with and the shift has been to understand that data security risk is an enterprise risk and it touches all departments. Similarly to that, vendor risk management specifically is an enterprise risk. Um, and my advice would be to treat it holistically from the perspective of uh, the vendor relationship. So from due diligence through contract negotiation, through onboarding that vendor in your system, monitoring them on an ongoing basis. When the vendor relationship is over, offboarding them, what does that termination deletion of data look like? So to think about the relationship um, kind of cradle to grave, so to speak. So, you know, in terms of what, what that looks like, practically speaking, the areas where you can most effectively mitigate the risk that these third and fourth parties present, um, wondering due diligence. So are you doing you know, your research when it comes to the organizations that you entrust your data to? Um, are you providing standard information security questionnaires? Do you do background research on the organization? Do you ask for security documentation like an ISO certification or, or SOC 2 report? What do you know about the vendor that you are entrusting healthcare data to? The second would be, um, when you look at the vendor contract, if you are on a vendor's form contract, as you can imagine, it's going to be very friendly to the vendor. It may not necessarily protect the covered entity or the business associate if it's a subcontractor um, in the ways that it should. So look carefully at the vendor contract and look at things like what specific security safeguards are, are enumerated in the contract. How is liability structured? Who's going to bear the cost of notifying individuals if there is a breach of PHI? Um, does the vendor have to identify you if there's a class action lawsuit filed after a vendor breach of PHI, which unfortunately um, are not uncommon these days? Um, to the extent that your vendor has vendors, what do they have to do? Um, that fourth party risk, again, hard to control, but you can contractually require your own vendors and service providers to 
pass down security requirements downstream and that protects you as well. Um, and then, you know, after you land on a contract that you feel good about, it, you can't kind of stick your hat in the sand and hope all goes well. So you've got some obligation and it's really a best practice to perform some ongoing monitoring of that vendor. You know, annual risk assessments, especially in the healthcare space, are a best practice. Um, you know, you, there are some tools out there and software programs that allow you to keep tabs on a vendor's online activity. You could consider some of those as well. Um, but certainly, again, you're not going to be excused from liability from a legal risk perspective um, just because it's a third or fourth party that has an issue, right? You've, there's this idea that if you're a patient, you don't have necessarily control over who the covered entity healthcare provider shares your data with, you're entrusting that they make smart decisions with respect to how they share that data. And so you can outsource a function or outsource, you know, data processing, but you can't outsource the risk of the liability in those relationships. Yeah, Sarah, when you think about, you know, risk, and I know working with clients over time, historically HIPAA in particular, and I know there are other kind of data security, there's state laws now too, didn't have a ton of teeth to it, meaning, you know, kind of, well, what's my risk? If we experience some sort of HIPAA incident, you know, not so what, but really, you know, what's, what are the big risks? Um, and I'm, you know, you mentioned class action lawsuits, but kind of thinking through your experience, I think it'd be helpful for folks to hear. And obviously from a monetary perspective, because that, that speaks a lot. What, what are different ways the risk manifests, manifests itself? Meaning, you know, what, what are the actual costs that could be incurred if there is, you know, a breach of the organization level or some sort of incident at the vendor level. I mean, I think you and I know from experience, the costs begin to add up. Um, and I think there's a lot of ways that that risk and exposure can can increase drastically. But what are kind of the top things you would say folks need to be aware of that really, you know, show this is a this is a real risk, especially from a monetary standpoint? Yeah, happy, happy to talk through that. I I think it helps to think of data breach costs from a first and third party perspective. So if you are a covered entity and you experience a security incident, you are going to have some immediate financial impact starting on day one. You've got to hire outside experts to, to help you through it. Outside counsel, forensic firms, ransomware negotiator, if it's a ransomware attack, um, you may be onboarding outside PR to the extent that the incident results in uh, notification. If it's a high enough volume, you're probably looking at engaging a third party to mail those notices, provide credit monitoring, stand up a third party call center. You know, all of those sort of first party costs are things that the covered entity is going to start incurring really early on. That can be expounded if there is a significant operational impact. So if you are a healthcare provider and you cannot turn your computers on because of you know, encryption following a ransomware attack, think about the disruption, think about the overtime to employees to have to deal with that disruption, services you can't provide, workarounds, procuring replacement equipment. Those are other examples of first party costs. Um, you know, third party costs are definitely the largest line item uh, ones that we would hope could be avoided if the response is handled well. But the reality is that if you have a healthcare breach and the headcount is high enough, um, class action lawsuits is definitely, definitely a risk. 
regulatory fines and penalties could be a risk as well. Um, but data reach class action lawsuits, you know, have become more and more common and healthcare data in particular drives up settlement costs. So PHI is valuable to not only uh, threat actors and to organizations, but also from the perspective of settlement value. So having a healthcare related breach is going to make litigation inherently more expensive as well. Nobody wants to hear that, that's for sure. <laughs> um, what should covered entities and business associates uh, do first to try and mitigate risk? Yeah, so I, I know I focused on a little bit of bad news just now. So let me let me pivot to good news. And that is that, you know, organizations that that fare the best in an incident situation, because I do think it is a matter of 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 when, not if, but there are certain proactive measures that you can take to mitigate the fallout from an incident financially, legally, operationally, and to better prepare an organization to withstand an incident. One of the one of the things to do, I think, most immediately, going back to vendor risk management, is take a look at your top service providers, the ones that have that process the highest volume of PHI for your organization. Dust off the contract. Um, take a look at whether you would be adequately protected if that vendor had an incident. Take a look at whether that vendor is currently required to protect PHI uh, in the ways that it should. If the contract's coming up for renewal, it's a great opportunity to try and bolster your position. The contract's not coming up for renewal, consider asking for an amendment. I think that all of the justification um, is there for that. But doing that sort of vendor risk triage is one thing that you could immediately do as an organization to, to mitigate that risk in particular. Would that be something that your team would do on an outsourced basis if a GC of a healthcare system said, would you look at this contract? Is it you know, going to hold up if something happens? Yeah, for sure. Um, we can look, we, we often look at individual contracts. What we also do is sit down with healthcare organizations and help them think proactively around what vendor risk management should look like. You know, whether it's crafting a vendor risk policy, coming up with standard contract, terms, you know, Laura and I would work together on what a really solid BAA template would look like. So making sure that your vendor risk program is holistic, uh, like we talked about a, a few minutes ago, um, you know, doing those things now really can take the sting out of a, a vendor incident down the road. Maybe take some of the sting. I don't know about all of it from what you said. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on behalf of Lauren and the whole Taking the Pulse team. Uh, you know, we appreciate your time. I, I really think we need to have you back because I think it's just going to be a growing topic. So count on another ask from us from the future. Sure, um, but I think I'm thank you. Okay, well, I'm going to take you up on that. Uh, for those of you who joined us today, hope you listened carefully, dust off that digital closet, vendor, due diligence, a whole list of, and some risk mitigation tactics that you can take concerning cybersecurity. Hope you listened and take those to heart. And we look forward to seeing you next time, right here on Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. <laughs>